0: Welcome to Organizational Sherlocks, the podcast where business meets psychology and your organizational puzzles meet their match.
1: Join us for captivating stories and practical solutions to unravel your toughest challenges. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Fleming. And I'm Morgan Ashworth, your guides to a
0: prescription for business success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Organizational Sherlocks. Um, Morgan and Elizabeth here, uh, excited to talk with you all about. Why IO Psychology, Industrial Organizational Psychology is useful in business. Uh, I'd like to start off really quick just by asking, how are you doing today, Morgan?
1: I'm good. Uh, Busy day, but ready to go on this podcast. And uh, just for those of you who don't know IO Psychology, it stands for Industrial Organizational Psychology, if you're just joining us. Uh, We did briefly talk about it earlier on in our series, uh, but just to cover that again
0: for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited about today's episode. I think uh, there's a lot of different ways we could take this um, and a lot of information we can share, but, you know, as the organizational Sherlock's that um, Morgan and I are, and all of you are either are or, or are becoming, I guess, um, We one of the the biggest things that we like to think about are kind of, you know, what are the top trends? What are the things that people are talking about today? In business, in our workplaces, um, we're not going to, you know, go through all of them and, and give you a bunch of statistics by any means. Um, although I'm sure we could, uh, but I think there's a lot for us to talk about today. Things like, you know, returning to the office policies. You know, is AI going to replace my job? I know we've probably all asked ourselves that a gazillion times, right? Conflict resolution. You know, is a college degree or uh, or skills? What's more important? So I think there's a lot of different trends for us to consider talking about, and all of that is useful in business. So before we dive into any of those uh, those pieces, I would love to know, Morgan, if you could share a little bit about maybe how you use IO psychology in your business as chief people officer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm using IO psychology constantly. Um, I am constantly having those conversations with people of, Hey, use the psychology behind it. Uh, and that could be sales. That could be marketing. That could be training someone. I actually, I had a conversation just today. Uh, I said to someone like, look, you have a great mindset. You already have that, um, knowledge or innate knowledge, I guess I should say on how to solve problems and how to find information that you need to find to, you know, resolve something for a customer. And while that's great, you want to know, you want other people to know how to do that as well. So you're at a point of you, you're trained to the extent of you're you just naturally have that um that skill set, I guess, of problem solving, decision making. But you need to teach other people how to develop that. And so that's the difficult part. So that's where Io psychology really fell into this conversation today, where I told her she doesn't really like training people because she doesn't know how to train people, but she knows what to do. And so it's a matter of communicating and creating that bridge of how you do it versus how they do it. And so in our conversation, I was saying there's a psychology behind training. So you need to get someone there step by step to do what you do training them by their them practicing it not just you telling them what to do so that they can independently do it later on there's a whole psychology behind problem solving on that side on training on that side so there's one area i use it um yeah, but that's, on top, yeah. you go. that's,
0: okay. that's a, a really good point i'm gonna jump in for a second if that's okay um it's that experiential learning right mm-hmm. or that action learning and you know it's it's interesting because um i kind of that for me, like growing up, it was, you know, I needed to learn how to drive a manual vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It was a rule of my parents that I would know how to drive a manual vehicle just in case I were ever in a situation where I needed it, right? And my dad tried to tell me how it worked. And he tried to teach it to me very clearly. He's an engineer. So he did a really good job of explaining the mechanisms and how it all comes together. But it wasn't until I actually took the time to look at the engine and understand mm-hmm. and get behind the wheel, and I will tell you, kill it about 70,000 times before I figured out how to drive the manual vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an example of what you're talking about. It's not just about the step-by-step guide on how to do something, but a lot of it really is the hands-on experiential part. So yeah, I love cool. that you incorporate that.
1: Yeah, anyone can be directed, but can you fully delegate that task later on? And to get to that point, you have to coach the person to get there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm that's just some situational leadership I'm talking about right then and there. So there's an area I, I use it. Um, I'm constantly creating new training programs for the company, so training manuals I can look at, which is step-by-step guide, but then training programs that go with them, uh, which teaches them through experiential training. I really do enjoy that side of it, leadership development, Um, but that's not the only place I use it. I use my IO psychology in marketing, I use it in sales, I use it when it comes to performance management of employees. Uh, you, you see it across the board. It's, it's people operations that I, I need the psychology to help with it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like you use it every day.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. What about you? So what about yeah. you? Elizabeth? I know you are specifically in business consulting, so you yeah. have to use it every day.
0: Yes, yes, I, yes, all the time, actually, I'm trying to think of the million examples and also how to condense that down into a 35 to 40 minute podcast. Uh, so we'll just give you a couple of the the more basic ones. But, but yeah, you know, I work with a variety of different organizations, right? Um, people in finance, people, um, you know, IT teams and sales teams and legal teams and all of these different people, right? And I will agree with you 100% on the experiential learning. A lot of what I do is less about telling them what to do and helping guide them to find the answer themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of that, that 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 experience of kind of having that epiphany, right? Um, I can buy Exactly, right? the buy-in, yeah. Like, I can tell you, Morgan, OK, Morgan, in order for you to be more effective as a leader, I need you to do X, right? but until you truly understand the reasoning behind it i i, I don't know that it necessarily has the same impact yeah. um, as kind of coaching you through and helping you experience what that feels like and how that impact can be realized yeah as a man, man, i mean i like love-
1: Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying because I I love that you're saying that because I just had another conversation today. I I pull in some um, IO psychology mentees every single quarter to help them. They they help me work on some real life examples uh, in business that they don't necessarily get as a a student. And so I was talking with one of my students today on on why we include questions and activities in Mm -hmm. training programs. And it's because, as I said, we want to open up that dam. So right now they have a dam. They're not necessarily receptive to this communication, to the direction they're given, especially if they've been in the industry or at the company for a long time. And so you need to open up that dam first. And in order to open up that dam, those questions, you make, the, you have those thought-provoking questions that gets the person ready to think on their own and it makes them more receptive to being directed and using that direction effectively based off how they've been taught to use it. So it builds buy-in. And it's so important for organizational leaders to do that. And um, so for you, I'm sure you've experienced needing to, you know, listen to them. What do they want out of this? What do they need out of this? You need to create those questions to to create the bridge. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think too, some of that comes down to telling your story, right? And, and I, I don't necessarily mean telling your story, like open up the flood, like floodgates and let everyone know everything about you in a vulnerable way. That's not what I mean. I mean it more in the sense of there are organizational initiatives, right? Or goals or changes that might be happening across the organization or within your team, let's say. And as a leader, it's your job to find the way that feels authentic and true to you in how you tell that story to the people that you um, are responsible for and mm-hmm. work with right? And that story doesn't have to sound exactly the same for every single person, which I think is, is a big part in what I do. It's, it's about helping people find the best way to tell their story in the way that feels authentic to them, but also is accomplishing the goals that the business has set out to accomplish.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're playing on psychology right there when you think of, uh, in group. So you want to be able to, um, be receptive to your team so not only do you want to be authentic as a leader but you also want to be the type of leader that people want to listen to you because Absolutely. maybe not just because you're authentic but because they feel similarities to you and authenticity goes a long way to create that um and so there's there's the psychology behind group ideas and not necessarily not not going to group think as some people might be thinking right now but the idea of um group similarity
0: yeah yeah and knowing who's in the room too and i'll Mm -hmm. say that's a big part of of how i use io psychology every day right which i know there's a little bit of a maybe it blends into clinical or counseling psychology to some extent here because we're looking at you know factors i look at factors every day related to personality related Mm -hmm. to you know motivational drive and achievement drive and all of those different pieces using validated tools to Mm -hmm. understand someone now the way that i i absolutely i love i love doing it is taking all of that data let's say for a team right and we're talking about sharing the story and knowing who you have in the room right are they driven is do you have a team that's predominantly driven by finding purpose in in their life? Are they trying to do something that is going to last for a long time and really have a strong impact? Is that important to them? Well, your story might be tailored in one way for a group like that, you know, maybe versus and it's not a one way or another. I'm just kind of giving two polarities here just as an example. But you know, versus another group who maybe is very, you know, data oriented and productivity mm-hmm. driven. And it's not necessarily about doing something that lasts the long term, but something that makes an impact now and yeah. has immediate feel and an immediate experience. Right. Your story is going to sound different, even though the goal is to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And so.
1: People might think that you're not being authentic that way, but you are. No matter what in your life, you tailor your stories to the groups around you. You're going to tailor a story that happened to you differently to your friends and you do to your family, to even to different friend groups that you might have. And so tailoring it in a company is also useful. Sometimes that, in the end, it could result in the same, not the same result. I hate saying that because the results ending in the same result, but um, you're aiming for the same result yeah overall and you're just like you said tailoring it to the different groups you're still being authentic you're just changing the communication channel a little bit so that the other individuals that you're leading understand what you're saying
0: absolutely yeah that understanding is key right oh my goodness I love it do you know what it's making me think of though um and it's a little bit of a shift in our conversation so bear with me but it's making me think about one of the trends that I referenced in the beginning, um, or the the trends of things people are talking about, and that's related to AI, right, Mm -hmm. or artificial intelligence. And whether we believe that artificial intelligence will replace our jobs, right? Now, I'm gonna say I am not an expert in artificial intelligence, so please don't hear me say that. but I do want to say that, you know, in, in a study, um, they had found that 22% of employees, people employed today, believe that AI will replace their job in the next five years. Yep. To me, it doesn't sound like a big amount, but that to me feels like a really big amount, right? Yeah. I mean, 22%, then, that's 22% of people. Yeah, it's a ton of people and I think about what we're talking about right now and yeah, artificial intelligence can figure out how to tell a story, but can it and will it? And I would argue it will not and I know there's a lot of people who probably agree with me, maybe some that don't, but I think the majority of people agree can it truly understand the human element and be able to react in a way um like we're talking about right now to understand group differences, to understand group similarities, mm-hmm. right? To understand how in this moment, you may be experiencing an emotion that isn't similar to what AI thinks it should be. When
1: I think of AI, I think about how it's, a lot of AI is used to either like improve messaging or to summarize messaging in a sense. So I don't know if it's necessarily able to, you know, problem solve, create new ideas. It's, It's creating from what it can take. Mm -hmm. uh meaning like when you think of ai within imaging it's taking from all these other images around it with some sort of inspiration yes people do that as well but you're not legitimately taking from exact existing pictures that might be around you you're you're creating something new and for that reason i mean there's so much ai in in the court world right now because AI is not necessarily a, a, a trademarkable, uh, it doesn't create trademarkable material because right. it's not created by a human. But there's still an argument behind that because, well, if I put this information into the AI feature, whether that be something like ChatGPT or another AI software, then can't I trademark what I create with the words I use? Technically, no. And there's there's a big argument behind that. Um, and so, yeah, AI, it's, it's a little confusing, people are worried about it. But Mm -hmm. I don't think it will necessarily be able to relate as we do now, I think it'll help us create efficiencies in the workplace. And maybe that's why people are more worried about the 22% are worried about losing jobs. Because if you need if you can do eight people's work with seven people now, that's
0: one person gone. So I do see that as as legitimate concern. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with you in there. In that way, I think that it's more likely to lead to kind of new responsibilities or changing job descriptions as things become more efficient. You know, Um, I mean, I use ChatGPT all the time. Sometimes I even just ask it like I'm thinking about a word that I think means this and it'll kind of pull from all over and give me give me an idea of what I'm what I'm thinking. And so in that way, I do think it's helpful. However, I think it really, it creates an even bigger argument as to why IO psychology is important in business, right? Because I do do think about, you know, without IO psychologists or IO um, industrial organizational professionals within the work setting, whether that's in HR or, or, you know, change management or organizational development or whatever the, you know, the area that they are, without that in some ways, you risk missing a voice and missing a very important voice because, as we talked about in a previous episode, all of our businesses are made up of people. Yeah, right. We, so we also, need
1: people there. Yeah, and we've talked about in-group bias before, or the group bias before, and um, uh-huh. like groupthink. And I know I touched on it earlier and in, in in the episode, so it's making me think of it again. So in groupthink, the person that is constantly saying no to what the the majority of the group is saying, obviously they have groupthink going on, they, they're all stuck in their ways because everyone's agreeing with them, so they must be right, right? But if that one person keeps disagreeing, eventually they're going to prevail. AI is not going to allow that to happen because they're going to take... What the majority says. Right. Uh, I mean, I could talk about AI forever. I could talk about um, the, how the working cl- like class is changing. It went from sixty six percent of able bodied people to more like sixty percent, less than sixty percent actually of able bodied people currently. And so maybe AI will make up for the lost
0: amount of people
1: rather than replacing people. That's yeah, how I think about it.
0: Absolutely. I think we may need to have an entire episode on AI or an entire month dedicated to it and maybe get some professional that is in this area on to talk about it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll certainly go back to AI at some point. Absolutely.
1: when we think about people, we also think about returning to the office, another trend. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of people are, were very much against going to the office and still people are against going to the office. They, they really don't want to go back since they got used to being virtual over the last few years. And so that's another trend with people and what's affecting the workplace and why IO psychology is useful to the business world there.
0: Absolutely, yeah, you know, it's interesting because in the assessments that I do uh, for my job, a lot of times they're selection assessments. And so it's, you know, the final three, four candidates um, for a position are going through the assessment so that there's more objective data uh, for the hiring group to consider mm-hmm. when they're deciding who to put in the role, right? And, and oftentimes I ask them in my interview with them, you know, do you want to be in the office? Right? Do you mm-hmm. want to? Would you like a hybrid role? What would be your preference? Because I typically know the answer of what the company is looking for. And it's helpful for me to have that information in my head um, because then I can explore a little bit about why. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and it's not, it wasn't a question I used to ask if that, yeah. I mean, prior to the pandemic, and not really asked that it didn't matter because most people were in the office, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but now it's important to know.
1: Yeah. And it, it definitely affects like, you know, the types of teams and the type of people on a team as uh, remote versus Hybrid versus in person people, the different personalities someone has can affect how productive they are in each of those roles. Some people are more productive um, mm-hmm. in a remote atmosphere, while some people have to be in person to be productive. I mean, at, at my company, we saw a drop in productivity during COVID because people were remote. And I mean, we had someone that their sales dropped to almost nothing because they could get away with doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a matter of accountability there when yeah. it comes to remote in the workplace. And again, that's that's that follows that trend of is return to work the best idea or is there something we can do to, you know, balance it out? Again, IO psychology being useful in the workplace for that reason because that's what we examine as IO psychology professionals. We examine these these statistics and we're trained on it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and you know the kind of i would say that like the depth like the example that you gave the depth that you could go to understand that person right Mm -hmm. that i i think that is what's so fascinating to me right because it brings up questions of you know work-life balance right i mean i i don't know about you i mean i work remotely the majority of the time it's kind of nice in when I have a twenty-minute break to go and run and do my laundry really quick because mm-hmm. then I don't have to do it later when I'm done working, right? And so productivity, in a weird way, I, I just I think there's so much depth and so many different things mm-hmm. to consider um, when it comes to return to work, and um, again, probably another podcast episode for us yeah, to well, talk
1: about. Yeah, well, it's definitely. Touch back on it. Obviously, uh, guys, for you guys listening, this is really that high level overview. We're trying to give you an understanding of um, why IO psychology is useful in the workplace. We're, We're talking about business practice. We're talking about business in general. We're not just going to talk about IO psychology, but the purpose, again, of this podcast is to bring psychology to all these organizational dilemmas you're trying to solve. And that's why we want to really go in depth about why this topic is popular and important to the workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think it's important too, to note that there's not a solution that's a one size fits all, right? Every organization is unique. Every team, every individual, every leader, everyone is, is unique in their own way. And so- we're not here to tell you what the best way or the right way is to do things. We can talk to you a little bit, you know, throughout the episodes um, about best practices or things we've learned. But, you know, ultimately I think our goal is to empower all of you to be really curious and think about it in your own way too. Right. We'll give you some maybe some starters. And as we talked about kind of at the beginning, we're going to maybe give you some experiential learning opportunities so you can your own Sherlock um, in your organization. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to uh, when it comes to
1: organizational development and and putting interventions or. New implementations to companies, so whether that be uh, workforce changes or uh, just new rewards-based incentives, different performance management system—you know, you name it—it it, it could get worked on. Anything that changes in the organization, um, we have to talk. As an I/O psychology professional, we have. To talk to the leaders we have to talk to the employees and so it's important to know what they're thinking about the situation And so your input to an io psychology professional is so important to ensure that the right outcome occurs i see very often consultants work with a company but don't quite understand what would build buy-in in in the employees or what how the company already works or how to build buy-in even from the leaders and if they don't understand that as a consultant, they're never going to provide the, the best solution uh, that they can. Uh, when we talk about, you know, no, there's no one size fits all. Um, you can take theories, you can take different case studies and you can utilize those towards your own, but you still have to specify it to your company. So, for example, this there might be a case study on a forty-person company. Well, you want to use that case study, but you have a two hundred-person company. Well, you need to tailor it to two hundred people, not forty people, or vice versa. I mean, Elizabeth, my capstone back in school, it was about taking a large company's organizational intervention. So it was one from GE, and making it valid for a small company and I, I actually applied it to my small company because my company is less than 50 people uh or the company i work in shouldn't say my company but you know it's very dear to my heart so i love Absolutely. the company uh, but i wanted to show that maybe this type of intervention blueprint does work for my company but no matter what you still have to specify it whether that be based off of the tactics or the t- tests you're using um like So like, for example, I wanted to be able to test morale. Well, a large company's morale-based test is not going to work for a small company right. because it might be too skewed. It won't allow uh, the the intricacies to really take part as they need to. Uh, but so, yeah, you get blueprints and you get case studies and you get examples to go off of, but you always, always, always need to apply the specifics of your company.
0: hmm yeah. To no, I 100% agree with that. Out of curiosity, how did, if you don't mind me asking, how did it turn out? Stuff.
1: I mean, I think it was one of the best things I've ever written. It was super fun to look at all the intricacies of this intervention that it came out of a case study from General Electric, one of the largest companies in the world. And I basically proved that these small focus groups can still solve issues in a small company. And used statistical evaluations, not brought by that VE intervention, but different ones to the company. And it, it showed valid. It showed it worked. And uh, our, our culture, definitely, I, I was able to keep that, get a temperature on the culture and, hope, and make some valuable change to it and hopefully can continue
0: to using the same system. That is awesome. That is so cool. I know that's. I think that'll be one of the fun parts of this podcast too, is bringing in some of those examples and and really being able to work work through them, um, and and just kind of understand again, you know, what are some things that work and what are some things that aren't, and how how do we figure that out, right? Like how do we critically analyze these interventions that we're looking to to put into place? Um, because there are, you know, you can go on Google and just search a million things right and sometimes you find the answer and sometimes you don't right but really i think it's more just about being able to take all of the information and distill it down into what is going to work for you given the the organization you're in or the culture you're in as well as considering some of those those more macro factors um, as well. And I and I think you know that that's a key focus of what I do in my work. It's it's not just I mentioned selection assessment, it's yeah. not just understanding the person and the role and the team. It's understanding what's happening in manufacturing right now that's impacting right. Um, the the hiring of, of different people, or you know, thinking about like doing a selection assessment for a, a chief technology officer. I mean, technology is changing every single day, yeah. right? Like, I can't just say, yeah, this person, you know, knows how to use Word and Excel and can yeah, code exactly. in in SQL and, and R and all of these things. Yeah, he's going to be a great, you know, technology officer. Um, not necessarily because there's so much changing and they need to yeah. also be up to date on the trends. yeah it's not just those
1: hard skill sets it's those competencies that they have and that's something that's so important to test so i mean i we so we had a broad new sales sales manager on just recently and i mean she's already doing amazing i am so thankful i feel like there's like this weight off my shoulders with having her because she just thinks so much like myself and some of our other leaders in the team just about developing people and uh you can tell that there were certain people we didn't select because They just did not have those soft skill competencies they needed. And that's, I mean, another reason IO psychology is useful in the workplace. Soft skills are hard to test. Soft skills are hard to even just pick up on. Uh, And so you have the talent acquisition IO psychology professionals, and that's what they focus on is those soft skill competencies, not just the hard skills when it comes to hiring. I mean, you, you said you've
0: done hiring, Elizabeth, so you know. Oh, I know. I definitely know. You know, one time I um, and I'm, he'll know exactly who he is when I when I say this. But um, we I was hiring somebody for my team at a previous company and I for whatever I don't know what it was. Um, he had a music background. I was looking for someone in talent development and kind of organizational development. So getting a degree or had gotten a degree in music um and was really wanting to kind of break into this world and break into business and there was something about I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try something different you know I mean why not right now he had a lot of the the hard skills that he needed right like very detail oriented and um very eager to learn and very resourceful and all of the things that I was looking for from a kind of more technical skill set if you will um But there was something about him that he just wasn't the same. And he was one of the best team members I have ever worked with. And I'm really glad that I had kind of challenged myself to go outside the norm a little bit.
1: Yeah, sometimes that... Textbook best candidate is not your best candidate. And that's actually something I taught one of my supervisors. He always wanted that he's like this person, this person, this person. You saw we had a little bit more turnover with those people because Mm -hmm. they might have been the best candidate by book for this type of job, but were they the best candidate for our team? Right. And clearly they were not the best candidate for our team. We had an end of, we had a situation where he wanted to offer it to one person. I wanted to offer it to the other. And so we went back and forth and his, the person he had chosen actually showed their true colors in Mm -hmm. offering the position to her because she was, yes, when people are sick, it's hard to answer and you should definitely take care of yourself, but you can't go lack of communication when you only have two days to respond to yes or no on a job you can't. Um, and that's just a quick, yes. It can be as simple as that. And so she showed her true colors and we went with the second candidate and he has been an amazing part of our team since. And I'm so glad. And, um, my supervisor and I, we've, we've had the conversation. He's like, I'm so glad that it worked out the way it did. I'm like, everything happens
0: for a reason. Oh, it sure does. Oh my gosh. I know. I have to give a shout out to Cole really quick. I'm going to tag him in this just so you know, because, um, it's been fun to watch his progression now into kind of this this talent space um, and, and how I think, and I don't know, I think it'd be interesting to hear from him at some point, but um, just how the conversations we had about IO psychology, like it just, it was, it was so good. And I think there was something about just kind of the culture around us. And again, with all of the factors at play that, you know, allowed for that, discussion and that fruitful like learning um and i don't know i i think he's doing pretty good today so shout out to cole on that one
1: (laughs) awesome awesome. Well, love those little shout outs to um the people that definitely
0: bring a lot of meaning to what we do Yeah. yeah absolutely well i don't know about you but i am excited i think I probably have said that about 72 times during this podcast already, but I really am. So um, there's that. But I'm excited to keep digging into all of these, all of these different kind of topics. And, and, you know, from a kind of a structural perspective, you know, Morgan and I have chosen to kind of take each month with a little bit of a theme, Mm -hmm. um, and then bringing some guests in to talk with us about their experience. So I don't know, Morgan, would you like to share a little bit about next month's theme? Yeah, I'd love
1: to. So obviously, you know, we're talking about IO psychology and how it's useful in the workplace. So we're really gonna use those topics come next month. We're gonna be talking about organizational mission and vision, something that is so important for a company to create, to create this level of uh, global understanding in the company for what everyone's working towards together. It it creates that team, um, that teamwork, it creates that collaborative type of environment. And so we're gonna talk about organizational mission and vision, and we're going to actually bring um, a great connection of Elizabeth's, uh, Dan Stoltz, who he's the president of blaze credit union so we're going to bring some high level people in. we told you we're going to bring these some awesome guest speakers and we're, we're really looking forward to that conversation dan's going to join us the second podcast le- next month which will be march 19th but uh elizabeth and i'll give you a little introduction to why organizational mission and visions are so important uh, and that'll drop on the fifth
0: mm-hmm Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget to, you know, check us out on LinkedIn and and all the social media channels as well, because we'll have some fun interactive polls and we'd love to have you talk with us and and share your experiences and opinions um, as we get rolling into this world of organizational Sherlock's. Yeah, we told you that uh, it's important
1: to have everyone's opinion when it comes to uh, certain subjects. So bring them on. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to Elizabeth or I through the email or through our LinkedIn's. Uh, We definitely want to hear what you have to say and we want to hear what other topics you
0: want us to talk about in the coming months. Yeah, well, sounds good. Well, should we wrap it up today, Morgan? Let people yeah. get back to their day and join us on the 5th. Uh, for the next for our next podcast about mission and vision alignment. Yeah, this is Organizational Sherlocks signing off. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. This concludes another intriguing episode of Organizational Sherlocks. I'm Elizabeth Fleming. And I'm Morgan Ashworth, reminding you that the journey to success is an ongoing investigation. Stay curious. Stay strategic and keep utilizing insights to decode your business mysteries. Join us every other Tuesday for your next
1: who done. This is organizational Sherlock's closing today's case.